Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Lovingly Up and Lactation podcast. I am Erica Dutley, your host. If you're new here, thank you for joining. This podcast was created to highlight, amplify, and essentially create this audio hub, right? Specifically a black lactation professional. So that way we can hear directly from their mouth, their experience on getting into this field and staying in this field. I am an IVCLC in private practice up in Northern Indiana. Um, You can receive lactation support from me by going to enrichlactation.com. On this week's episode, I probably say this every single episode, but it was such a pleasure to be able to interview someone that has such energy and, and calmness that resonates through a mic. The colleague this week is Dr. Sakita Lewis Johnson. Dr. Sakita Lewis Johnson is a board certified family nurse practitioner, international board certified lactation consultant, and birth doula. She is the accredited provider program director and an instructor for lactation education resources. She is one of the founding members of Southeast Michigan IBCLCs of Color and Mama's Mobile Milk. She is the owner of Mommy and Me Lactation Consulting LLC and serves as a board director for the United States Breastfeeding Committee. She sits on the Maternal Infant Health Health Equity Action Committee for the state of Michigan. She serves her community by volunteering on the Beloved Community Initiative Leadership Team in Farmington Hills, Michigan, and Birth Detroit in Detroit, Michigan. Dr. Lewis Johnson has received multiple awards during her career. In 2021, she was the recipient of two awards, the Award of Excellence from the United States Lactation Consultant Association and the Alumni Service Award from the College of Nursing at Michigan State University. Dr. Lewis Johnson is an avid advocate for equitable and just policies and practices, especially related to Black maternal child health disparities. Passionate about maternal child health and breastfeeding, she provides lactation and doula services within Metro Detroit and surrounding areas. Her main goals are to prevent obstetrical harm and to assist families to achieve their desired feeding goals. She believes that breastfeeding, self-efficacy, along with skilled and timely lactation support are key to breastfeeding success. Thank you, Dr. Sakita. I appreciate your time this morning. (laughs) Good morning. Thank you for having me and thank you for asking. Yes, I've been building up the courage, Loki. So <laughs> it took me 20 episodes to build up the courage to reach out and ask. So thank you for being so, so gracious and accepting my invitation. Oh, thank you so much. I um, So when you get to know me, you will know that there is no need to pause. I'm just Sakita. You can reach out at any time. <laughs> I appreciate that. And that's really the energy and and the vibe that I got with meeting you in person, having the privilege of doing that at the USLCA conference. And no one was like up sitting with you when we went to, you know, do the the documentary for Chocolate Milk. I was like, let's go up and have a seat. (laughs) And the the 
was great. You were wonderful. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad you did because I definitely would have been, as I was watching the um, documentary, there were some parts that were new to me and I definitely needed somebody to be like, yeah, you know. Uh, so, so thank you. I appreciate that because I would have been looking around the room like, where are my peeps at? That will get this. <laughs> that will catch yes. this feeling that I'm feeling. Where are my peeps at? So thank you for joining me. My pleasure. And it was definitely, I felt the same way. It was very um, emotional and vulnerable and I had seen it once before. And so this was kind of a, a newer edited version that caught me off guard a little bit. And um, Lydia actually sat the same year that I sat and kind of knowing her a little bit before and like all of the hiccups and the hurdles and then seeing that come full circle on the screen was just really, I mean, <laughs> yeah, really emotional for me seeing that, yeah. Yes, amazing, 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 yeah. All right, so what I love to do with people that I interview is okay. take a glimpse back, especially for those that have been in this profession for a couple of decades. <laughs> Um, so fill me in on what's a glimpse of pre-lactation cicada. What did that look like? So pre-lactation cicada was just the little girl from Flint who had graduated from Michigan State University. Um, and I got into a fellowship program out in Washington, D.C., particularly Washington Hospital Center, where they were um, offering training, specific training for new graduates that wanted to enter specialties. Now, I, I knew early on that I wanted to, um, well, I would say during my, during my nursing, not early on. So during my nursing, my time when I was in school, I knew I had pretty much phased out all the other nursing and I knew that I wanted to be a maternal child. And so that's what I did immediately after graduating. Um, I, I moved to that area for a couple of years. I worked at that hospital a couple of years. I was cross-trained in um, areas like high risk, um, OB, NICU, postpartum, that sort of stuff. And so with that being said, um, ever since 1998, I have been assisting and knowing about uh, breastfeeding from the standpoint of all the health benefits, all the challenges um, that some people were experiencing. Uh, but I also, pre-lactation, I have to say that it was my sister who introduced me to actually uh, breastfeeding. And she said to me, um, she was pregnant while I was in college and she said she was gonna breastfeed and I had never seen anyone um, breastfeed. So I was like, well, why would you do that? I'm so embarrassed to say this, by the way. Mm -hmm. I was like, why would you do that? I won't be able to feed my first niece. And so she's gone on and telling, you know, about the benefits and how she's just going to do it. And I was kind of a little sabotager a little bit. I was in my feelings uh, that I didn't feel like I would get the opportunity to, to bond and have that experience somewhat like people still believe. Right. Mm -hmm. And so um, during that during the course of that conversation is when my mother shared that she had wished, you know, that she had breastfed my brother because maybe he'd still be alive. And so with that being said, it was just a, uh, that was my, my intro to actual lactation. And then my work began in lactation when I became a nurse uh, at the hospital in D.C. 
Got it. And so when you were in high school, kind of growing up, selecting a major was kind of the medical field and a nurse, something that was already on your radar? No, I'm about to drop some real truth darts right here. (laughs) So when I was in high school, mind you, I was fifth in my class. Mm -hmm. I had no, up until senior year, I didn't think college was uh, attainable for me, Mm -hmm. even with the GPA I had. Uh, No one had talked to me really about college other than my grandmother who had passed away. And I remember her, you know, telling me she really wanted me to go to college. My grandmother was was one of those women who, you know, she she valued education so much that she her children. She was like, they all have to have a high school diploma. Like it was just no. Right. You you get in a high school diploma back in that day. Well, for her grandchildren, she wanted that next step. And so I remember her asking me about college and I told her I was going to be a beautician. (laughs) And I'm laughing, not because, you know, I love my stylist now, but I didn't do hair. I didn't know how to do hair. I don't even know how to do my own hair. And so I was just saying something to kind of get her off my back. Right. Mm-hmm. And I remember her asking me, like, so if you were to go to college, what would you want to be? And me, because I couldn't think of anything, I said, I want to be a dentist. And only because I like the way the dentist office smells. That was the first thing. So I, I, so I fast forward to my senior year. Um, I was the class president. I was always active, um, a class president. And I also... Um, had a counselor who wasn't too interested in like knowing me, but our senior class advisor, his name was Mr. Harrison from Beecher High School. He was also a pastor. He had pulled me aside and he said, Lewis, he said, where are you going to college? And I said, I'm not. And he's like, what? I said, I'm not. I I was like, I'm going to go, you know, um, probably get into a program to do hair. And he's like, can you come to my office tomorrow? I want to speak to you about some things. Mm. And it was in his office that he said to me, you, you, you need to go to college really. And, 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 and he said, um, so I need you now to pick out like three colleges that you would want to go to. Um, you know, that I said, I didn't know anything about college applications. I didn't know anything about fees. So when he started telling me about the fees, I was like, I can't, I can't afford those fees. Mm -hmm. And he said, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. Right. And so I was like, okay. So he said, get, give me three colleges you would go to. So I knew Michigan state because and this is so shallow what I'm about to say, but uh, a quarterback from our high school had gone on to go to Michigan State. So I knew Michigan State. I knew um, Jackson State because I had an ex-boyfriend that had gone to Jackson State. So I was like, Jackson State, Michigan State. And um, he, I believe the counselor picked Grand Valley State for me. Mm. And those were the three colleges that I applied to Um And so that began my journey and I ended up being accepted at Michigan State. And the only reason why I was going to, I totally chose Michigan State was the boyfriend thing fizzled out and I wanted to be close to home. I I had never been really outside of the Flint area like that. So. Yeah. Yeah. 
thank you for being so kind of, excuse me, vulnerable and, and candid because I, I see a lot of myself in that story <laughs> as far as number one, um, being a little bit naive as far as being able to bond with a baby only with a bottle and only by feeding, right? Yeah. And so likely in hindsight thinking like, man, I really was that saboteur <laughs> <laughs> that were breastfeeding or people that I saw. And there was actually a person that I went to high school with who did quote unquote extended breastfeeding where, you know, her son was up walking around and it was just very bizarre to me at the time. And then um, come to find out, I ended up breastfeeding my son for three years and four months. And I'm sure that seemed bizarre to other people, but um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of regret, but we learn and we try to pivot and mimic. Um, yeah. <laughs> Listen, I live by when you know better, you do better. And I also live by ever since reading the book Becoming, as I think about my lifetime, think about even some of the challenges, some of the mistakes I've made. I, I wake up every day and say, you always have the chance to continue to become. And I feel like I will be becoming until I take my last breath, like just maximizing the opportunity to be your better self. Uh, so yeah, so, you know, I, I'm very transparent about all things. Most most times people are like, oh, that was an overshare, but it's like, well, okay. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's appreciated because it makes you it makes you human. And I feel like that gets lost often as we kind of grow and kind of um, progress like through achievements and different things like that. But for for us that are kind of newly into the field, being able to see the humanity and the beauty of people just being individualistic and not being kind of these robots yeah. um, as far as professionals, it really allows us to see ourselves and allows us to kind of evolve and change and continue um, being teachable, right? Yes. Which is very important for this field. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's so, so that's a whole nother segment of really feeling liberated enough where I don't have to go into spaces now and have this whole professional Sakita versus personal Sakita. Yeah. I'm like, you know what? I'm just showing up as Sakita. Like all the pretenses, all the, I, 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 goes out the window. <laughs> like, so yeah. yeah. And, and I feel, um, I feel liberated in a sense. I feel like, you know what, this is me. This is who I am. Um, if you don't accept it, that's fine too. We're different. And I know that not everyone is for everyone. And so I respect that. I respect that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, and I think you all doing that type of work and not kind of doing that code switching this new kind of age of IBCLCs and lactation professionals that are coming in. I mean, we don't waste any time. We're just, we're here. This is us. Y'all go in. Y'all go in. Like, I, I, sometimes I'd be like, ooh, I, if I had pearls, I would be clutching them. <laughs> but it's like, you you all have kind of provided, you know, yeah. for us to feel confident and to be at ease and to know that you know, we have each other's, you know, back and, yeah. and have, you know, that if we need to be reined in lovingly, we can, yeah. you know, be human enough to have that conversation, but also know that we need to be able to explore and figure out what works and what doesn't to kind of really get a sense of our own voice. Absolutely. Um, really important. Look, I, I ain't mad at it. I, I, I'm like, okay, I can see the progression, you know, even it is, it's strange, even with my children, um, 
again, when you know better, you do better. So I, I noticed a difference in like where I was with my oldest, who's 23, and where I am with, with my two youngest, who's, who are 15 and, and uh, 17, as far as really listening to them, honoring their voices, leaning into their exploring. They want to know why. They want to, you know what I mean? And so really, um, again, learning that, hey, the, the the we want our new generation to feel liberated. We want them. We've been trained so much that we have to teach our kids to be a certain way, act a certain way. Um, you, you, you represent me when you go out the house and blah, 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 blah. You know, instead of really uh, honoring their personhood and who they are and their voice. And that means honoring their voice. Like genuinely as children who are inquisitive, they are going to challenge, they are going to ask questions. And I love that, that, uh, that my boys feel free to do that. I just wish my, my daughter felt a little bit more um, liberated to do that. But again, when you grow and heal, I think your kids grow and heal. And to me, it's just, a, it signifies some of the things that, you know, I hadn't healed and so I can see it in full fruition of how my boys show up, you know, and challenging folks um, a little bit differently than, you know, how my daughter shows up. I agree 100%. Um, I feel like when I had my son relearning and seeing things through his, yes. through his eyes yes. is, is, has taught me more in the last five years than the previous 30, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they make you they make you analyze a lot of things in life. I'm gonna tell you that. Yes. <laughs> these little bees, these little beings, they do. Yes, and, and and it's it's welcome, but it's also sometimes I have to clutch my pearls. And yes. go, if I would have said that, but it's it's different. So I have to kind of rein myself in. Therapy is wonderful for that, for me to be able to deal with my stuff so that it's not being poured onto him. Yes. <laughs> oh, I hope you can say that again. Listen. Listen, I, I say that all the time. And I, I also say that when folks come in with their stuff and I feel like that's a part that I've dealt with and I'm okay. I sometimes will say, you're not about to mess up my co-pays. Like I, I, I paid for this. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, so yes, you, you are, you hit the nail on the head right there. Excellent. So we went to college, became became a nurse, it sounds like. So what was the pivot or the point of entry into working within the field of lactation? So in all honesty, a lot of times, um, and I'm going to say this because this was probably a, a trained trauma response, is that even in nursing school, whatever I did, I knew I had to um, be better than anyone. Like, you know, Michigan State, they declined me. They denied me into the college of nursing two years in a row. So I had my challenges there. And it wasn't until, again, a Black woman um, who is now Dr. Renee Kennedy, who really said, when I changed my major after being de denied the second time, she said, well, we'll give you a deferred waiting if you keep your GPA where it was. And at that time, I didn't have family support, like taking care of me. I mean, I was going through a whole bunch of things. And so I'm like, OK, so I knew going into the College of Nursing that I had to prove myself. I always had to be better. I always had to. So, of course, when it came to getting into the fellowship program, 
uh, I believe there were, if I remember correctly, 68 applicants and they were only taking eight. Wow. And so there was eight of us that got into it. And I remember thinking, I have to be like just everything. I have to excel, right? Um, mind you, this was my first time even making the type of money, not even imagining as a nurse that, oh, wow, like I'm doing this. And so I, when they said, okay, breastfeeding is part of the job, assisting with lactation, okay. Um, so, and so one of the, at the time, there was a lactation consultant at the Washington Hospital Center. Her name was Sue. I can't remember her last name, but I would actually watch how she would assist the uh, moms. And I would then just kind of mimic and really just got, got good at it until I had my own child and realized, um, and I had my daughter on my brother's birthday who had passed the SIDS. And I'm going to be real honest, working in the hospital system, a maternal child at that time, again, this was in, um, well, she was born in 99. But so before that time, I guess before she was born, um, it was like the, the formula reps were in the nurse's ear. Like I remember the formula rep telling me, you don't have to worry about milk. We'll send cases to your house every month. It'll just be on like a subscription type basis. And so I was the person who was going to do both until, um, and when I say both, I mean both breast and um, formula feeding mm -hmm. until she was born on his birthday. And then I became obsessed with exclusive breastfeeding. Um, but one of the things that happened was the challenge was real. Um, at that time, we were teaching 20 minutes on each side. My daughter was seven minutes and done. Mm. Um, at that time, we were teaching if it's pain, there must be something wrong. There has to be, right? And so it hurt. And for two weeks, I mean, oh my gosh, I, I could even thinking about what we went through and me wanting to give up, um, it was hard. It was extremely difficult. And the whole year was really difficult to because to, I was thinking about even her my brother's death date. That's what was heavy on my mind. And um, I gotta make this work. And whew, yeah, it, it was a, it was a it was something. So with that being said, after I had those challenges, the one thing I said is if I'm having these type of challenges and I'm some probably I'm someone that's supposed to be educated. Yeah. What, what must it be like for my patients when they go home? And that again, propelled me to just, that was like the kind of inkling that started in my head, started like, hmm, like, and at the same time, trying to honor the beauty in that my milk was actually doing it. It was actually growing her. Like, it was so many wonders for me. It was almost like, a wow moment all the time. Wow, wow, right? Yeah. And um, and so fast forward till I have to until I have my second child. I mean, we, me and that girl, we, my my daughter, we we battled some stuff. We battled uh, what at the time they were saying was yeast. I mean, I was on I flew in for like thirty days at one point. We battled the mastitis. I mean, I went through the ringer. <laughs> Um, and then she started biting and I couldn't get her to stop biting. And so that's when it was like, I can't do this. Like I, I had had it. I had had it. So we were able to nurse just after, uh, 
my brother's uh, death date. And but I had some tons of milk and frozen that I had um, been able to express because that was the one thing she never really ate when I dropped her off at daycare. She just waited till I got home and we nursed all during the evening and night. So, um, so when I had my son, I went through the same challenges and he was born in 2005. Wait, no, wait a minute. Yes. Cause that's when I became a CLC. So the year my son was born, <laughs> I had the same challenges and I was like, Okay, how can I be helping people in labor and delivery? How can I? I uh, uh-uh. I, I, I got. I have to find some somebody to educate me because again, it hurt me. And no matter what I did with the latch, it just. And so um, I found a. Um, <laughs> I was living in Michigan at the time, but I found a CLC training in Chicago. And I remember telling my husband, like he woke up the next day because I had been up all night looking for more education. And I was like, we're going to Chicago next weekend. And he's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but they're having a CLC training. And that's the only thing that I saw. And I need more education, not only to help myself, but how can I be effective at my job, Right. And so that's where it was just kicked off solid that, Sakita, you're doing this. And um, so working as a labor and delivery nurse, once I became, once I got my CLC, I remember asking the lactation consultant in our um, office, uh, I said, hey, you know, can I, can I work sometimes in the outpatient clinic? And she said, no, you have to be an IBCLC. Mm. I was like, oh, Okay. Huh. how do I do that? So again, me being inquisitive, me um, really, again, it was always trying to serve my clients um, and the patients that I was serving so that my conscience would be clear that I've done everything I could do to help. Um, and I have to go back to Washington Hospital Center. This, this is a, an example of what I was willing to do. So so we had a huge Spanish-speaking population there. And I remember um, as a new nurse, it's so much to learn. But I remember a physician coming up to me saying that his patient had been in pain and that she hadn't had pain medication. And so I recall, like I would check in and I would say, are you okay? And she would nod her head. But when that physician came in, she said the word Delore. And I didn't know that that was pain, but she had never said that to me. But then I said, well, maybe she didn't feel comfortable. So me, I enrolled in a Spanish course. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, a college level Spanish course. Now, I didn't have Spanish in high school. I had French. So I'm in this college course, not really understanding like these steps, right? And I remember raising my hand and saying, hey, can you slow down a little bit? Um, because it's just too, too, you're going too fast. And I remember the uh, professor said to me, this is a college course. If you can't keep up, you should drop the class. <laughs> so I felt de- defeated, right? But that was me always trying to, to figure out how can I not ever harm again? I felt horrible that that happened. And so my thing was, was I got to learn Spanish now, you know, so it's always like a thing where something happens and it's like, you got to do better. Okay. This is what you're going to do. 
So I think that's kind of really and truly, if I had to sum it up, that's how this all came about for me, how it unfolded. Yeah. And so with that curiosity, as far as, okay, I figured out being a CLC, I want to kind of work in this outpatient clinic. What the heck is an IBCLC? What did that process look like as far as learning about it? If you knew any people outside of, I think you mentioned Sue over in Washington, um, that was an IBCLC. So I think she was a lactation consultant. So I never knew about IBCLCs. I knew she was a lactation. I never like thought about the credentials aside from right uh, people, right? So I knew her title was lactation consultant. And I um, came to learn later that that's what IBCLCs are, right? Um, but the process for me was interesting because I worked at a hospital setting. So that was one of the barriers that I didn't have to face as far as clinical hours, mm -hmm. but I did have to do clinical separate from my work. I had to put in tons of hours. I had to follow. And at that time, we had five different LCs. And so I really, um, I'm, I'm thankful. Actually, when I think about my practice and I think about um, how I've seen the five different folks that I followed, I learned things that I knew that I was not going to do. But I learned some very valuable things about um, management of clinical concerns. And so I got every last bit of one of my hours that were logged uh, because I was, I believe, following pathway three, where you have to uh, really be with a mentor. And so, yeah, I did that. I worked full time and then I got my hours. I volunteered to get all of those hours that, and I was able to use, I believe, a third of my hours um, as a as a working as a nurse, but the rest of the hours were straight clinical for me. Yeah, and I think that's a great point when people are thinking about a mentor. Usually, I, I feel like the it insinuates that it's one person, but the beauty and the growth of having multiple people to learn from can really serve the purpose that you mentioned, right? Identifying, well, I'm not going to practice like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to be really effective in this works having that diversification really sounds like it, it serves serves you well yeah it's actually one of the the framings that i want to do um you know as a one of the co-founders for southeast michigan ibclc's of color i actually am working on i believe that anyone that we we say we are going to mentor that they should have that well-rounded experience Yes. And I'm saying hospital, outpatient clinic, community. So all the pieces, all the things. And so I actually am collaborating with the uh, University of Michigan right now, even though I'm a Spartan, um, University of Michigan right now um, to get one of our mentors in to um, have some hours with their outpatient IBCLC. And so um, what that would look like is really is leveraging that relationship to have that be one of our clinical spots. And so I'm hopeful, I'm excited. It's gone to the lawyers, we'll see what happens. But I definitely believe that there's value to all the different areas of, of lactation, clinically speaking, so that you could be the, the going into it as a novice clinician, but, but you are a sound clinician, if that makes sense, when you first start. 
Absolutely. And I think that's that's part of where we kind of lose footing. It's like we get this credential. It's like I've only seen it one way, whether it's through the lens of counseling as a peer counselor or only isolated in the hospital yeah. um, or only, you know, virtually and not having a really full understanding of what you want your model to look like. Right. So it seems like the first couple of years is trying to figure that out after you have the credential, but I can see the value in having that experience, even if it's in moderation, to understand, you know, I prefer this type of atmosphere, or also knowing that there can be seasons in different atmospheres as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And so as far as your experience becoming an IBCLC, by comparison to kind of what we go through now, and you get that firsthand quite a bit with the, the prep course that you do through LER, that mm-hmm. study course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't count the number of times that I watched that. <laughs> <laughs> number one, just seeing someone that looked like me, but really <laughs> down and making it seem um, manageable, like complex things, making it manageable and just the way that you educate. Um, how do you feel like it, that's different now compared to, um, say, two years ago as far as starting for the exam? So I will say that what's different, I think, also is that when I when I went back to school, I did um, go. So I've been a nursing instructor for some time also. So I've always had more than one job. Let me just put it like that. <laughs> um, and so during my time as a nursing instructor, it's the first time I, le- I was leaning and learning about adult learning principles. And then later on going to um, Wayne State, I wanted to graduate with my uh, certificate in nursing education um, because I needed to know more. I needed to, again, be able to kind of uh, be an effective teacher, so to speak. Like one of the things that that ethically bothered me is that, um, you know, some clinical instructors would not really put in the work, right? So when students would come to me, they wouldn't expect to be challenged, meaning like questions like, okay, what, what is this medication used for? Okay, for iron, right? What was the person's hemoglobin? And they're looking at me like, what? Yeah. Like, you know, so it's like I I I challenge folks and I was like, maybe that's not the right way, you know, um, because you're paying for this education. I'm gonna give you everything I got in me, you know, because I think that I'm being paid for this, right? Um but just seeing the differences in nursing instructors and how they showed up again, I just wanted to be whatever I do, I want to be able to do it well informed. And so um, I guess I don't even know if I answered that question and how we got there. But, oh, I know you were talking about the differences in um, education then and now. Um, I think now the with IBLCE, they've changed up some of how their pathways go. Um, and so I think now um, it's just interesting. It's interesting to see the differences in what people believe IBCLCs do and who they are. So, it, And that's how some IBCLCs practice, meaning um, that I'm just there to educate and latch. Like, you know, um, and I'm and I'm saying that from not a standpoint of judgment. I'm saying it from a standpoint of how I see practice done. 
Um, I work for a, I used to work for a large hospital organization where we had different sister hospitals. And some of those hospitals required for their IBCLC to see every single patient. And I was thinking to myself, how can you be effective if you're seeing every single patient? But what it looks like is it's going in with your spill. It's going in with the amount of time that you have because you're on these constraints and you're just doing the education and nothing about the latch, nothing about because, you know, babies don't feed when we walk in the room. They not they don't be like, oh, the lactation consultants here. Let me laugh. Right. Perform. Right. Exactly. And so I was so thankful to learn about uh, Rebecca Mano's. Um, acuity, lactation acuity framing, because that was like, yes, this is it. And and again, one of the lactation consultants that trained me, trained me in such a way, but not in, as detailed. It was like, okay, yeah, we at that particular hospital system, we were expected to see everyone. But she's like, you look and you see who's been really, you know, really exclusively breastfeeding, who hasn't been, who hasn't been, you want to look at why. And so learning all of those things, I think, um, and putting all the experiences together, I would say, I, I see it different. Everyone has a different journey. And there's not a one set journey because of the different pathways and how now they're changing. Like, back in the day, we couldn't do virtual, right? right. Virtual is a good thing. It's a good thing. I think that there's a skill set. I just said to to my to my colleagues at Semi, I was like, I actually can't stand virtual consults, right? I just don't like them because you know I've been doing in home visits. So when someone says that they prefer virtual, I'm like, but the other day I was so proud of myself. I was like two successful virtuals back to back, right? Yeah. Um, mission accomplished. So I was so happy. But again, it was the continued practice, not leaning away, but leaning into being uncomfortable and trying to figure out why I was uncomfortable, first of all, um, and how could I be more effective? And so, yeah, it's been, a, it's, it's a journey, but I think it's, I think we all come from different spheres and the pathways as confusing as they are, it makes it challenging to, um, kind of decipher who's learning what, how they're learning it. Um, and I can honestly say that I can tell because my door is always open and I get folks that will call me and say, hey, I've had this consult, blah, 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 blah. And it's like stuff that I'm like, wow. Um, okay, you probably should have known that. And then it makes me want to ask, well, where did you get your clinical hours? How did you, because not because I want to sit in judgment, because right. we're trying to understand how to teach. We're, like, I want to meet you where you are. I don't want to talk about something that you already know, but I definitely don't want to make an assumption that you know X, Y, and Z. So then again, I'll ask questions. And that's off-putting to people because the question seems like it's judgment, but it's like, no. This is information I need from you um, in order to be able to serve you and answer your question. So, yeah, and I think that's really important because we want to do that with families as well, right? Absolutely. I come in and give this prescriptive spiel, and I haven't even asked to kind of see what's your goal, what's your baseline, what does your support look like, what type of supplies do you have, right? So, we need to be able to, to ask those probing questions. And another thing I love that you mentioned is exploring 
why um, you didn't really have a preference or enjoy virtual consults. And I think it's one thing to kind of feel as, you know, try it out and be like, yeah, this isn't for me right now. I kind of prefer this over that. Yeah. Opportunity to kind of sit and be like, is it because I feel like I'm not good at it? Do I feel like I, I need more descriptive language to be able to explain it? Or on the flip side with home visits, is it because of the, the time that it takes for travel and the logistics of it? Or is it that I feel um, apprehensive with how to engage with families in their setting compared to in mine? So I, I really love the aspect of the conversation and being able to really challenge the thought to feel as if you can't do it or if you simply prefer not to do it. Right. Yeah. It, it, it was a preference. I can tell you that for sure. But again, it was also some things I needed to learn um, when you're so used to being side by side, face to face. I had to learn that, okay, at this point, my laptop angle it this way. But when I'm teaching anything like position, okay, now I need to angle. It was just awkward, right? So I had to learn like all of these things, um, but I am, I'm better for it. I'm, I'm just going to say that. <laughs> yeah. And so that, that kind of brings me into the next form. You, you're talking about like education and always trying to kind of grow and kind of figure out how to be um, best effective. And so you work within the field of lactation specifically in multiple different ways. Yeah. Um, so can you share a couple of those different ways and kind of if that just gradually evolved or if that was um, on the agenda from the beginning of becoming an IBCLC? Whew, no, <laughs> none of this was on the agenda. <laughs> uh, so uh, whew, this is so let me let me first um, uplift the ladies at Southeast Michigan IBCLCs of color because I couldn't, I wouldn't be still in the game were it not for having their support and their love and their grace. I just want to put that out there. Um, so I want to, you know, preface this as when you first enter the field, well, when I first entered the field, I knew of only two IBCLCs in the state of Michigan. Um, Jerry, her name is Jerry, and I don't want to say the last name because I might get it wrong, but I believe it's Jerry Winston, I know I said it. And then there was uh, Delicia Shimkowski. And it was Delicia who I had, again, on my quest for always learning, I attended something that Babies R Us was giving. They were given some type of informational about breastfeeding. I'm like, I'm going to go to that, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I met Delicia. And I, you know, I told her I was a CLC and she started telling me, she's like, yeah, you should do the IBCLC, the black woman now. And I'm like, whoa, right. And as, so as when I became an IBCLC, I noticed there was just sitting around the tables for me um, and being mistaken. One time I was at a conference, um, I had gone to a conference and Marshall Walsh, Walk, Walker was speaking. Now I'm a person that go to conferences, always sit in the front because I value learning. Yeah. Uh, and so it was, it just dawned on me like I just work like it's heavy in so many ways. That was the same conference um, that someone asked me, asked a person to her, her left if, if she was, um, it was to her right. I was to her left. It, uh, if she was a IBCLC, and then she looked at me and said, so are you a peer counselor? Mm -hmm. And I looked at the other person that she was talking to and was like, what's the difference between she and I, right? And I'm like, you know what? I, I said to her, I said, no, I'm a human first, but I'm just an IBCLC. 
and the look on her face was like, like I had somehow, but I'm like, you just made an assumption, right? Um, so it, it was instances like that, like getting up and someone asking me to save a plate for one of their colleagues that was going to be coming when this person was sitting at the table with me and who thought I was, and I, and, and the reason why I mentioned Marsha Walker, not because, uh, but it, I, I remember her walking by because I was in the front, only person of color at that time. And I remember her saying, she thought you was a server? because <laughs> she heard us mm -hmm. so that made me say I don't know if I can do this um, I need peeps and as the field started diversifying and there were people doing disparities work um, you know folks would reach out to me I always had an open door and um, it was Jennifer Day who had organized. It was after Jennifer Day had sat for the exam and passed. She had organized a photo shoot for the uh, Black lactation consultants in our area. And so when we all got together, we were talking about like starting something up for support. And so when we first started, our three pillars were um, mentorship, professional development, and um, sisterhood, just as support. And so our meetings, we, we, it was, when we first started, it was set up that way. We would, for instance, read articles about social justice and breastfeeding, and then we would dissect them over a couple glasses of wine. <laughs> um, and, and we would talk about that, and we would talk about next steps. We would talk about where certain folks were on their journey, what they needed more of, um, as far as so that they could be successful. And then we would do our wind down where we would just kick it and talk about insults that were happening in, in the oppressive culture. And so that blossomed, and we were just talking about this just last weekend, to, that blossomed into more than I ever thought it would. It, it, it um, has blossomed, for one, into a beautiful beautiful, authentic relationships where we support one another. We all have our own private practices, and um, but we work together collaboratively for folks in the community so that they have timely access. Um, and I would say the, the pandemic was the catalyst for our direct service because initially our service was just serving one another in mentorship in professional development and sisterhood. And now it is, has extended. So we have, we operate in a fashion where we're non-hierarchy. We don't, we don't really believe in hierarchies. We, we have a horizontal structure. And so um, as my dear sister Tamika always says, we're all bosses. And so, um, you know, it's easy for us to move how we move with that framing. And so, when, when the pandemic first started, it was like, okay, we need we need to have a support group now, virtual support group. We got to get that started. We need education now. So we did those first two things. As I was working in the hospital, there was some issues that came up with a mom not being able to, being told that she couldn't give her baby her milk because um, her baby was going into temporary foster care. So I became involved in that. Yada, yada, yada. That's how mobile Mama's Mobile Milk started with me and my dear colleague, Nia. Rutherford, who was working there at the time with me. 
Um, and then here lately, when the formula shortage happened, it was like, wow, we have people calling us for a formula. We can't find formula either. And so we were like, oh, we need a community milk depot. So it's like, okay, purchase the freezer. Okay, how can we leverage our relationships? So we have it uh, housed in a local birth, um, a birth center. Um, here that we partner with that said, yeah, you can put your freezer here. And so we just move oftentimes with no funds. Um, <laughs> um, but um, as again, Tamika always say, when you feel, when you see a need, you feel it. And I am so thankful that folks saw a need in me that I needed to be cultivated. I needed to know this information. I needed, I needed things that I didn't think I needed. And folks, it's like, here, here you go, right? You don't know what you don't know. And so really just um, as the wind shifts and blows, really just being accountable to our community, such as how our ancestors were accountable to, the, to each other. And we've gotten out of that. We've, we've gotten so far. Well, let me say we haven't gotten. It was taken from us, uh, this sense of trust, this sense of togetherness, it, it's been taken. And there are folks who are still operating to um, cause the divisiveness that we see. And so we're saying, no, we don't want to do that. And we're saying, no, we might not always agree. And that's okay. Because yeah. families disagree, right? We figure it out. But we still going to honor and love one another because this work is heavy, it's hard, and we need each other. Yes, yes. Everything you just said, <laughs> I, I love it. It's, it's you take that first step of faith, right? And then yeah. people show up, community shows up and you have to put it out to the atmosphere. We kind of amplify it in our head and we're like, we, we can't do this. We don't have the funds to do this. We don't have the bandwidth. But as soon as we start speaking it or posting it, right? People usually come around and want to help or provide you with um, resources if they can't provide it themselves. And that's one of the beautiful things I love about all of the black lactation professionals that I've met since the, the moment that I spoke this into existence, uh -huh. I mean, you all have just showed up with be accountable to kind of make sure that I'm growing and evolving and that I'm being not just a, you know, cookie cutter IBCLC, but I'm really pushing myself to keep evolving and growing. And it's always with love and positive intent. And it's, it's such a beautiful thing being on the inside of it. Yes. I mean, I love it. And, you know, I, it's funny, you know, because folks tend to think uh, about me in certain ways and I'm not going to like, but I remember saying I would give an idea with Simi and no one would challenge me. And I'm right. like, hey, I'm going to need y'all to, to challenge me. Like, I'm going to need y'all if y'all disagree, you know, um, and so even that, uh, I remember Shantae being saying something like, well, you know, you like an OG, you like an auntie, you don't challenge your auntie. And I said, but you know what? That's like, you, you have a voice. I need, I need to hear from you. I, I want to be accountable too. Um, and that's my thing is that I don't, ex I don't expect more from others than I'm willing to expect of myself. And so, um, yeah, I'll leave that there. So. So that's the one realm that I work in. I also work for um, lactation education resources. I started working for them initially contractual uh, and um, as an instructor. 
when I say contractual. Um, and so I would do the jaundice lesson and the low birth weight lesson. And then, you know, I always say for me and my faith, God has certainly, certainly been good. And I feel like when the pandemic started, I was offered, well, I was offered the opportunity the year, January of the year to, to work remotely. And I was having trouble with that thing. I was like, I, I, I still got to be at the bedside. I've tried to step away. I tried. So what I did was I accepted the position at LER with contingent that I could still work in the hospital setting um, contingent, right? And as I saw the pandemic unfolding, and I saw, I, I, I feel like I've been gifted with um, discernment and gifted with like this, this thing to see beyond what's happening right now. And when I started noticing ways of being from hospital administrators, I absolutely said, I can't do this anymore. So I walked away and from the hospital setting in April of that year. Mm -hmm. So I tried, I tried to stick around. I tried to say, hey, I, 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 you know, I can't do this, but I'm thankful and I feel privileged and blessed that I had the opportunity to still have employment and, and say to the hospital system, I need to step away. Yeah, and, and with that in mind, you, you spoke about it a couple of different times in the scenario with the, the conference where Marsha Walker was there microaggressions, just kind of being um, the only person of color or the only black lactation consultant mm -hmm. um, and, and various other things as far as how this can be emotionally draining to have tenure, right? And kind of to be in this profession for the long haul, what are what are some whys or things that kind of keep you motivated and in it? You mentioned Simi being one of those things, your sister's holding you accountable, um, but anything else that keeps you motivated? My kids, they are the most progress feeding. <laughs> I mean, like, seriously, like, I had to have a whole conversation with my oldest son because he was talking about, I, I don't even know how it started off, but um, how people hate on breastfeeding and all this other stuff. I'm like, hating on breastfeeding. So I'm keeping the conversation going. I'm like, what does that mean? You know, and... <laughs> He's like, you know, telling me, you know, what his scenario. And I said, well, Luja, you know that a person, you know, um, gets to choose whether or not they're going to, you know, breastfeed. Like, we, so we had this conversation about bodily autonomy. So I said to him, I said, well, you know, he's like, well, my wife's going to breastfeed. And I said, hold up, hold up, hold up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I said, Luja, you realize you know, it will be your wife's body, right? And so I said, so what if your wife doesn't breastfeed? He said, this was hilarious. Then I'll just divorce her. Like it was a no brainer. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, now this kid at the time was, I don't know, he might've been 14 or 15. Oh, wow. I said that to say, <laughs> these kids go hard and they think everybody should. And they've had the opportunity to be really on the scene with me. Like if I go to any uh, reproductive justice marches, they're with me. Um, if I go to, um, they've been in spaces, they've done milk runs with me. And so um, they've seen breast milk in our freezer from people. So so um, my kids, they, they are where it's at. Um, and I feel like 
that them being socialized, even my daughter one time asked me, I mean, mommy, why do you even have a job? Everybody's supposed to breastfeed. That's how they think in this house. (laughs) So, so yeah. um, Yeah. So my kids keep me going. My husband, I could not do this without him at all. And I don't say that in a way that, um, in in a murdering type of sense, Mm because he's got to be a strong man to deal with me. But I will say that he has been, he is my rock. Um, He picks up with the kids whenever I needed to have extra hours to do X, Y, and Z. He's been that, I I get it, I understand. There are times I did a, a, um, I left the house one day, this was recently right before I left for out of town and I was gone for four hours straight on the consult. And it, it was funny because when I'm leaving the consult, I called him and was like, I could have been dead. <laughs> he, was like, <laughs> he was like, well, no, I figure something was going on. And so he's, to me, that says he knew enough to know when I always say that sometimes when we walk into homes, lactation might be the reason we're walking into, but it doesn't become the reason that we're there. And sometimes we have to shift gears. And sometimes that looks like holding space for folks for that amount, that length of time. Um, And so now I'm careful. I'm like, I don't book appointments back to back to back because I never know like, hey, so it's really, if I book an appointment, that's the only appointment for that day, unless I have a telehealth or something like that. So I think that my family keeps me going. And, And it was something my husband said. He was, he said, I will retire one day, but I don't think you will ever retire. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, I heard, I heard one of my elders say that you can't retire from this work. I think it was at BMMA. Um, Someone said it and I thought, wow, is that for real? (laughs) But, but as I've, as I've been, um, really thinking about it in a, in a way that makes sense. I'm like, no, I probably won't ever retire, but it's all good. Yeah. And I think that's one of the beauties of lactation is that I think from, from the outside looking in, it looks one way, right? You have yeah. a hospital, you're working with a diet and then that's it. But as you, you've proven, there's multiple different ways to evolve and pivot as your life evolves, as your needs change. And that's how we can kind of last <laughs> in this field is just kind of keep changing and kind of figure out what our needs are, adjusting that. And then, you know, ideally keeping up that energy from family, from friends and getting a new wave of energy with bringing new people in. I think with you mentoring, hopefully we're sparking new energy for you as well. <laughs> yeah. So I will start my first cohort October 30th. I'm signed up. Yeah. Oh, are you? Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I did not expect that to happen. I, I had people inboxing me the next day stating, hey, I didn't make the cut. And I, I feel so horrible, right? But one of the things that, again, that I've learned in my, in my, um, and how I feel like when I say learn, I'm not just talking about, um, you know, this higher education. Like I'm talking about lived experiences learned. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to be accountable. And so I don't think I could be accountable, for instance, to 30 people. I feel like 15, yeah, um, because not everyone is going to have the same needs at the same time, right? But really, more than anything, it, it, 
this idea came from folks that take take me up on my offer and be like, yeah, I'm calling her. I want to find out what I should do in this situation, right? And me feeling like, wow, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. Like, this is so much. But no, this is your service. So then I'm like, how can I compartmentalize where I can still continue to serve in a way that's meaningful than to... Um, my, my colleagues tell me all the time, Kitty, you need boundaries. You need boundaries because all my clients have my cell phone number. And <laughs> when I tell you, I get text messages all day and they're like, you need a Google phone. Nope. I, I, I prefer it this way, but I, I'm able to adapt. And I think this is one of those adaptations where the needs are great for new practitioners. The needs are great. And so how can I feel that need? And again, it's showing up just like um, Tamika says, you see a need, feel it. I saw the need because folks are calling me, asking me that my personal opinion, how would I, how would I um, manage things? And it's like, I'm trying to manage, help, help them manage their clients. I'm trying to manage my clients. I'm trying to manage my household. I'm trying to manage. I'm like, okay, this is what we're going to (laughs) do. So, so I'm excited about it. I am definitely excited. Yes. It is on my calendar. I can (laughs) until this weekend. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. <laughs> and so we talked about quite a bit. And so if you had to kind of look back in hindsight, what is something, if you could redo something, um, what would that be, if anything? If I could redo anything, it would be to have uh, to have followed my gut about certain spaces in this work to have honored that gut feeling about who to engage with and who to not engage with. And that's not on a, I'm not speaking from being an exclusive because I'm a very inclusive person. I'm speaking of recognizing some of the dangers and harm um, from folks, not just um, folks of the global minority, mm-hmm. I am talking about folks that look like me. Yeah. And I think that's the hardest. I think I get stuck there. That's an area that I still need to grow from. Um, but as someone who, um, and it was, I was heavy in this thought yesterday, so I think that's why it's resonating. As someone who was always seen as invisible, because I grew up a certain type of way. I didn't, I didn't wear this a certain type of clothes. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. Um, I, I, I go through life even still like, okay, I'm visible, but you know, sometimes I want to be invisible now because I have to question folks intentions Mm -hmm. when they're engaging with me. And I never really did that a lot with black folks, but I've always done that and always had to do that with the global minority, but now it's a weird space for me. Like it's a real, it's a really, really, really weird space. And, um, and as a person who truly believes in sisterhood, believes in relationships, believe in cultivating, believe in um, just loving in vulnerability and it's, it's a hard balance. It's a hard balance, but yeah, it's been it's been strange. Um, so I guess I would say that that long time ago, I wish I would have 
followed my gut and not been so freely giving. And I'll leave it there. Yeah, and I, and I think that resonates a, a, a lot with me is I've been, it's like you acknowledge the gut or what your your what it seems like something is telling you and then you don't do it and then you regret it. And I've been kind of working that muscle to really just kind of listen to that gut, even if it doesn't make sense at the time. But it has served me well. And I'm also a very, I've noticed this from my son because he gets it from me. I'm very observant and I just kind of sit back and observe in the cut mm-hmm. <laughs> and move accordingly mm-hmm. and that has seemed to serve me me well but but I can definitely see how we, we kind of have the expectation from the global minority right but when it's within the field and people look like us and because there's more of us you know growing but there's still a small portion of us it, it can be really disheartening to have that um, feel as if you can't be at ease yeah around people yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of those things where, um, and I alluded to this in, in one of my posts, is that I've gone so long being unnoticed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you, I was nobody to folks. And now all of a sudden, um, in certain spheres, and I'm not in certain spheres and in certain ways, and now all of a sudden, and this even this even dates back to even high school. I remember being treated a certain kind of way. And now all these folks are like, want to be your friend. And it's yeah. like, huh? oh, I knew her. It's like, no, no, no. I'm still the her. I'm still the her that you ignored. I'm still the her that you talked about. You know what I mean? Like, those are the instances where I feel like, oh, I just want to bury my head because now I'm questioning your agenda I'm questioning and and a person's agenda could be you know it could be on up and up but I'm just saying through experience now and through um the challenges I would say um I, I am really uh treading with a lot of trepidation and hesitation into lactation land yeah. And so for the final question in this portion, for someone who's inspired, and I know there's going to be hundreds listening to your story, um, what would be a suggestion on how to get started in this field? So my first uh, thing that I tell folks is that to understand that, um, again, I, I tell this to my kids, to whom much is given, much is required. And so if one of the things that you're wanting to do is to really reach out and talk to someone about it, do a little homework behind, come with a little um, something that you know about it, Um, do a little research, and then come with ways that you can operate or um, come with the thought that whoever you're speaking with, you're coming to them for ideas on how to operationalize what it is that you want to do. And how you're going to do it and look at your life, look at, okay, I got to have these many clinical hours. How does that fit in with what I have going on right now? Because I don't know about anybody else, but life is lifing for me mm-hmm. and life has always lifed. But what I'm saying is, is, is this the great time? And then if it is, okay, what's the next step? Do you have the college courses? And if not, how are you going to get those college courses? If you have them already, cool, but kind of know what you have going on, 
what's conducive so that whoever you're speaking with, whoever you're relationship building with, and that's the other thing, please relationship build. <laughs> I have noticed that um, that's what we've started to do is that I'm a person who loves folks of integrity. Like I can't think, I can't fathom that you are going to lie and say, I'm fudging, I'm going to fudge your hours when we've never had that conversation. Like you could put my, my, my credential. So really we um, are talking about building relationship before really saying, okay, we, we in this mentorship agreement because, you know, some folks don't take this work serious and I take it serious. I feel like when folks, certain people say things like community work, somehow they're supposed to be, um, you know, lower quality or, you know, people use certain words and I listen to them and I'm like, no, it should be the highest quality. If you're serving folks who have typically been underserved, you need to bring it. Yes. You need to bring it. Would they? Well, so anyways, I, I, I could go on a tangent, but I would say to build relationship um, and and then continue the relationship there are so many people that have walked in for the point that they needed me and I don't hear from them until their next Need. issue. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay. How you doing? <laughs> so, so yeah, so build relationship, but also to come doing the pre-work. And I, when I say pre-work, I mean like write that stuff down. Yes. Like don't have it in your head. Write it down. What are my goals? When is it likely that I'm going to be able to have all of these hours? How am I going to get these credits um, and then be able to build relationship and then mentorship? Perfect. All right. So we are going to move to our last portion. It's referred to as the letdown. We've had some stimulating conversations. <laughs> the answers roll out and flow. So these are rapid fire. Yes, no, short answer questions. Okay. <laughs> Let me settle in and get ready because I don't know what to expect, but here we go. <laughs> okay. The first question is, if all of your consults had to be the same chief complaint for a month straight, what would it be? This is supposed to be rapid fire. Latch. <laughs> do you feel becoming an IBCLC was necessary to do the things you wanted to accomplish? Yes. If you could only name one, who is someone within the profession that has had the greatest impact on your journey? The greatest impact on my journey? Someone in the field, though. Yes. <laughs> this one always stumps everyone. I'm not so rapid, I guess. <laughs> You're going to have to call this the, the geriatric rapid <laughs> response. Um, so I'm going to say, actually, if I had to say, I'm going to say my colleague, Mia Rutherford. Okay. Um, yeah. And the last question is, what is one word you would use to describe your journey? Perseverance. Love it. Dr. Sakita, thank you so much for joining us. Please share with us how we can stay connected website, social media, email address, anything you'd like to share? So Southeast Michigan IBCLCs of Color, we have a website. We are doing great work. Follow us on Facebook. Um, 
I, on my personal Facebook page, I am pretty like transparent, like, um, yeah, that's who I am. So, so I would say email S Lewis Johnson, number one at gmail.com. Perfect. And I'll have all of that information in the show notes. Thank you all for joining. Thank you. I mean, she's just a wealth of information and the vulnerability that she shares in this episode was really touching because you see these figures that I fangirl over and then you're able to have this candid, very loose conversation. And it's, you know, it kind of brings us back to that point that I mentioned in the interview of being human. And hopefully when you're listening to these interviews on the podcast, you're able specifically if you're not for example a lactation professional to reel it in and understand that we're humans as well and we have all of these outside things that we're trying to maneuver through in addition to being able to support you um, as a client and as families um, on your feeding journey so hopefully that is also resonating with people that are, are considering getting into the field is that we don't have this expectation that you're going to become this robot. In fact, that's going to serve you um, in the wrong direction if you're you're kind of stuck in your ways. But bringing your full self without the need of code switching, and that's something that when you see it with one person in the field and see how they can progress and evolve and expand within it, with doing just that, that kind of gives you that green light and that permission to show up as your full authentic self as well. Um, so thank you all again for tuning into this episode. To always stay um, caught up on the episodes, you can be sure to follow, subscribe on your favorite podcast player. We are on Apple, Spotify, um, any of the podcast players that you can think of. If we're not, let me know and I can get us added. Um, be sure to stay connected with us at Leveling Up in Lactation on both Instagram and Facebook. And then everything can be found on our website at levelingupinlactation.com. Until next time.